Welcome to the New Vision Church podcast. New Vision Church is a diverse, Bible-teaching, Jesus-centered church in San Diego, California, and exists to transform people and their communities by replicating followers of the biblical Jesus. Thanks for joining us today. Now here's this week's sermon. It's an honor to be with you today. My name is Pastor Nate Landis. I'm one of the pastors at the Encanto New Vision site, and it's my privilege today to share God's word with you. If you have your Bible, we're going to be looking at a passage of scripture in John chapter 11, and I'll be reading verses 32 to 44. We'll start from the top. I'm going to read the whole section, and then we're going to talk about it together. This is God's word from the English Standard Version. Verse 32 of chapter 11. Now when Mary came to where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet saying to him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who had come with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in his spirit and greatly troubled. And he said to them, where have you laid him? They said to him, Lord, Come and see. Verse 35. Jesus wept. So the Jews said, see how much he loved him. But some of them said, could not he who opened up the eyes of a blind man have kept this man from dying? Then Jesus, once again, deeply moved, came to the tomb. It was a cave and a stone lay across it. Jesus said to them, take away the stone. Martha, the sister of the dead man, said to him, Lord, by this time there will be an odor, for he has been dead for four days. Jesus said to her, did I not tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? So they took away the stone. And Jesus lifted up his eyes and he said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I said this on account of the people standing around that they may believe that you sent me. And when he had said these things, he cried out in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The man who had died came out, his hands and feet bound with linen strips and his face wrapped with a cloth. Jesus said to them, unbind him and let him go. The word of the Lord. Mary and Martha had lots of rabbis available in the ancient Near East that they could have called on when their brother was sick. There would have been a duty to perform prayers and to make a house visit, but they called Jesus because they had seen him do things that no other rabbi had ever been able to do. Jesus, in the gospel accounts, was able to talk to the weather and the storm would change. Anderson Cooper on CNN can talk about the weather. Jesus could talk to the weather and it obeyed him. Jesus could approach demons and they had to bow and run away and they were expelled from people's bodies because Jesus' words and his presence and his person had authority. They had heard other stories of Jesus healing the sick and doing things that no one else was able to do. He fed 5,000 men plus women and children with one lunch. So when it was time to call a rabbi to care for their brother who was sick, they sent word to Jesus. And back then they didn't have cell phones. They couldn't just send a couple digits with a thumb. They had to send a messenger who would run to get Jesus. Not only did Jesus have great power, he also had a personal relationship with Lazarus. They had fellowship. They had eaten together. Jesus genuinely loved him. So Mary and Martha said, our brother's sick. Let's call the guy who personally knows and loves him and who has all the power in the world to change his situation. He's not just going to wish us well. He's got the power to make him well. And he's not just a God with power that's impersonal and distant and and separated from us. He's a God that put on flesh and blood and walked the streets where we could hear his voice and smell his breath and we could feel his skin touch ours when he would give us a high five or a hug. This was the person we needed at this moment. So they sent the word to Jesus 
And Jesus waited several days before he responded. So Jesus shows up and Mary goes running out to him, falls down on her face in front of him. And she says this, it's a prayer you and I may have prayed before too. Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Have you ever prayed a prayer like that? Lord, if you had been intervening, if you were really all powerful and all loving, you would have fill in the blank. You would have kept my spouse from leaving. You would have kept my kid from drifting from the faith. You would have kept my family from struggling in poverty. You would have healed somebody that was sick that I love too. The list goes on and on and on. And sometimes Jesus shows up at a moment in time where only he can get all the glory, where things get so bad in our lives that there's no other explanation if things turn around other than that God showed up and there was a miracle. So Jesus is purposely arriving in a fashion that looks late, but he's right on time because he wants to make sure he gets all the glory out of this story. I think there's a lot of people in church that prayed this prayer and wondered, God, where are you? I think there's a lot of people that have left the church because they prayed this prayer and they've said, Lord, if you had been here, if you were real or if you really cared about me, my life wouldn't be as hard as it is right now. I wouldn't be going through what I'm going through right now or someone else I love wouldn't be going through what they're going through. And so they fall at Jesus's feet, but then they walk away. I'm pleading with you today. I'm challenging you today to stay in the story with me and see what Jesus is able to do with that situation that looks hopeless, that situation that looks impossible, that relationship that's so far gone and broken, you've given up, that job search that's just impossible and you don't even know where you can turn. This is a moment where you can stay at the feet of Jesus and follow him. We're going to talk in a second about skeptics and persuaded people. No matter what category you're in, Jesus wants to demonstrate his power to you. And he doesn't even beat people up for being in the skeptic group. He just says, I want you to know that God sent me. That's the question we're going to ask today is, what are you going to say about who Jesus is? Let's keep reading along. Verse 33, Jesus saw Mary weeping. And he saw the Jews that were also there weeping. He was deeply moved in his spirit and greatly troubled. And he asked, where have you laid him? They said, come and see, Lord. And then Jesus wept. It's the shortest verse in the Bible, but it's probably one of the most profound because wept doesn't just mean that Jesus had a trickle tear. Wept doesn't mean Jesus needed a little visine because his eyes were red and cracked. Wept means you would have seen his shoulders convulsing. Wept means you would have seen tears dripping out of his beard. And, and he was broken. This scripture actually is, is translated in some uh, translations as he groaned inwardly. Jesus was angry at sin and death because that was never supposed to be part of the human experience. When he created people, he didn't ever want relationships to end and have a gravestone blocking someone who you love from yourself. He's angry at this. Sin and death was threatening the life and the future of one that he loved. He started weeping. And then the people that were there observing, they said, wow, see how much he loved them? This was, this was not just a professional house call. This wasn't just a duty-bound rabbi showing up because someone asked. He really loves the guy. He really believes it. I was preaching a message one time, pouring out my heart as an itinerant preacher. I go to different churches and I was on my way out the door and shaking hands with everybody during the I enjoyed it line when people come and tell you what they thought of the sermon. Some churches do that. And as I'm shaking hands with this woman, she looks back at me and she's sort of marveling and she just goes, wow, you're a passionate man. You really believe this stuff, don't you? And I'm thinking to myself, what kind of preaching are you used to? Someone who gets up every week and talks and doesn't believe what they're saying? 
Jesus was somebody who believed what he was saying and he was so moved by what he taught and he was so connected to the people that he started weeping over the death of Lazarus and they realized this is not just a ceremonial or religious exercise. This is someone who loves Lazarus deeply. That tells you there were lots of other preachers out there who showed up at funerals and weren't moved by the death. They showed up out of duty. They showed up out of routine. But Jesus was entering into the suffering of Mary and Martha and everybody else. And he deeply was moved. He was angry at sin and death because it was never supposed to be part of the human experience. I was watching the news years ago and there was a story of a 33-year-old race car driver who was a NASCAR champion and he was racing around in the arena like he normally does on the track and his car got into a fiery crash. It exploded unexpectedly and he was gone in an instant. And I remember this CNN commentator who's supposed to be objective and unbiased and just give the facts hung her head and, and, and shook her head and just said, far too short, far too short. And I believe that's what Jesus was going through when he's at Lazarus's tomb, because we don't know how old Lazarus was, but he was probably a young man, maybe younger than his 30s. And Jesus looks and says, far too short, far too short. He's weeping because Lazarus had died before his time. And I believe because of sin and death, no matter what age somebody dies, Jesus is weeping because it's far too short. Methuselah, the oldest guy in the Bible. Anybody know how long he lived? Any Bible trivia experts from Sunday school? 969 years old. The oldest dude recorded in the Bible. I believe when Jesus, looking down from heaven, saw Methuselah go out at 969, Jesus wept and said, far too short, because that race car driver, Methuselah, you and me were meant to live how long? Forever. Anything short of forever is completely unacceptable to Jesus. That's why he weeps. We might feel lucky if we make it to 80 years. 85 if we have extra luck. But Jesus says you're settling for far too short of a life. Don't settle for less than what I have for you. You're made to live forever. Sin and death was never supposed to end human existence. Do you know Adam and Eve could be here giving this talk right now if they hadn't sinned and invited sin and death into the human story? It would be a little awkward because their dress code is more lax than we are on Sunday mornings. But think about that. Sin and death brought in something unnatural that wasn't supposed to be there. And Jesus shows up to reverse the curse and undo this. But he does it by entering into the human experience, not as a God who's distant, but as a God who's here. Not just as a God who loves us, but as a God who has the power to change the situation. Jesus wept. And he got the attention of those standing around because some people got paid to cry at funerals. Did you know that? Back in the ancient Near East, you had to hire people, no matter how poor you were, to cry professionally at your funeral. So there were some people that showed up and, and they were like, oh, Lazarus. <laughs> That's his name, right? We got it right. Laz yeah, oh, Lazarus, we miss you so bad. They were hired to cry. Could you imagine a career choice in that day and age? I was going to throw rice at weddings, but there's a lot more money in crying at funerals, so that's the direction I'm going to take my career. They were crying professionally at funerals, and Jesus shows up, and, and people noticed that he was crying real tears. He really knew him and really loved him. It got their attention. But then there were some skeptics in the crowd. Some people said, man, if that dude had all the power and he could heal a blind person, because the rumors were out, the news was out about Jesus. He had done all kinds of crazy stuff. He could spit on the ground and make mud, wipe it on the eyes of a blind guy, and he could see again. Jesus was so powerful, even his spit could change your destiny forever. Just touching the hem of his clothing could change you forever. But there were some skeptics that said, if he's all that, how come the dude's in the grave? Jesus didn't respond 
in an angry way. He just wanted everyone standing around to know that he was sent by God. And he let the skeptics check him out. He didn't belittle them for their skepticism. He just proved who he was. I consider myself a persuaded skeptic who's given my life to God, but he's shown himself to me over and over again. My prayer is often, Lord, I believe, help me overcome my unbelief. And my faith keeps growing and growing because he nurtures that part of me that is able to believe. So then Jesus, once again, deeply moved, this is verse 38, groaning inwardly, because this was never supposed to be part of the human story. If you've ever loved and lost a loved one, you know the anguish and suffering inside, and Jesus is entering into that because he didn't want that to be our reality. But we chose the path of death by unplugging ourselves from the source of life and light. Sort of like fish that decide, let's go try life outside of water. We hear water's overrated. Let's just do our own thing on land. It's not going to go well. But Jesus loves us enough to come after us, even though we've taken a course that's leading us to death. And he pursues us. Isn't that cool? He comes after us. He doesn't let the grave have the last word. He comes and chases us down, even though we've decided to try life without him. So Jesus, deeply moved, comes to the tomb. It was a cave with a stone laid against it. Back in the day, they didn't put you six feet under. They put you six feet back in a cave where they would cut out a hole in the rock, and then they would roll a stone in front so nobody would jack the body up or take any belongings that might be remaining in the grave. So Jesus shows up at the grave, and he says this, Take away the stone. Martha, who we know from other accounts, was really good at details and hosting and hospitality. So she pointed out something important. She said, Lord, by this time there is an odor. Some translations say a foul odor. The King James say, oh Lord, please don't, for he stinketh. It is bad. He's been in there for four days. I remember speaking at a retreat for kids in Ventura and we got to take a day to go to the beach and while we were along the shoreline and and the sand was just sort of uh, covered with the tide coming in there was a sea lion that had just died that was up on the side of the beach and it had a big hole in its neck because it looked like a shark took a chunk out of its neck and the kids were just fascinated by this and they would go running up to check out the sea lion and then as soon as they got within about five or six feet of it they would sprint the other direction holding their noses going oh it reeks it reeks the stench of death hanging over the beach after just one day was unbearable imagine four days Mary and Martha are standing there and they're going, Jesus, it, it really smells bad. And then Jesus says this. He says, did I not tell you that if you believe you would see the glory of God? This word believe isn't just passing Sunday school 101 where you check the box. Jesus is the son of God, check. Virgin birth, check. Uh, member of Trinity, check. Eternal life is real, check. Bible is the authoritative word of God, check. We can't get any of those wrong. But the belief Jesus is asking for is putting all those truths into action. There's actually this sense in, in the Greek where stepping out in faith, where the, the faith we have has to hold us. And, and if, if the faith that we have as we step out doesn't hold us, it's over for us. We have to put ourselves in a position where only faith can carry us. That's what Jesus is asking for. Back in the 1890s, there was a tightrope walker named Blondin who strung a tightrope from the American to the Canadian side of Niagara Falls. He became world famous. People traveled from all over to see him, and he would go across this chasm, which is hundreds of feet down, and if he had a wrong step to the right or to the left, he was gone. It was over for him. And he would make it across, 
day after day and crowds would cheer and chant his name and he had a little bit of an ego so he would say to them who's the greatest tightrope walker of all time and they would chant Blondin, Blondin and he would say I'm going to go across the falls a second time today do you believe that I can do that and they all started chanting we believe we believe and then he said, not only am I going to go two times on the same day, I'm going to take somebody with me on my shoulders. Do you believe I can do that? And once again, the crowd chanted, con convinced, we believe, we believe in you. And then he asked a very important question. Who will that person be? And a hush fell over the crowd. Hundreds of people were chanting, we believe, we believe. But then when it was time to put their life on the line for what they believed, everybody got quiet. And then out of the back, a guy in his young 20s, this is why I like working with young adults, it's actually Blondin's manager who raised his hand and came forward, volunteered, crawled on Blondin's shoulders, and for the next hour and a half, they inched safely across Niagara Falls. Hundreds of people were chanting, we believe, we believe. They probably meant it at that moment. They thought. But then when it was time to act on their belief and put everything on the line, how many people really believed? Only one, because they did something about it. So Jesus is asking Mary and Martha, in front of your friends, in front of your community, you're already jacked up and grieving and broken and crying. And, and if I'm not all that I say I am, Jesus is saying, this is the Nate's international prayer phrase now for this next moment, biblically accurate, modern equivalent. If I'm not all that I say that I am, you're going to be played a fool in front of your friends. Could you imagine if they rolled away the stone and nothing happened? Could you imagine adding insult to the injury and the grief if they rolled away the stone and there was no response? from the dead person? I've been to more than my fair share of youth funerals in my work. In addition to being a pastor here, I run a ministry that our church is very involved with called Urban Youth Collaborative. We do outreach at public schools. And I remember uh, one year there was a kid shot and killed in gang violence and it was a really heartbreaking funeral because this guy didn't have a lot of money to die. It's expensive to live. It's also expensive to die. And while we were all still standing around the, the grave site, the casket had been lowered into the ground. We had all paid our respects and talked about this kid and we were crying and comforting each other. While we're all still standing there, the backhoe comes in and starts filling in the dirt. Already, I was like, is this the express discount funeral package? Because can't we get a couple more hours of peace? Can you fill in the grave after everybody's gone? It seems almost disrespectful to the dead kid. Can you imagine Jesus showing up at that moment with the backhoe filling in the dirt? And he comes at a time that seems late and he says to the family, because you can't open up a grave or a casket without the family's permission. So Jesus comes to them and says, could I have permission to dig up the casket and have just one final word with the dead guy? That's what Jesus is asking here. This is the modern equivalent. There's only two kinds of people that talk to the dead, the insane and God. And the crowd's mixed in trying to decide which one is Jesus. Is he insane or is he God? And he looks over at Mary and Martha and says, will you lift up the casket, give permission for them to pull it up one more time, open it up again. I want to have a word with the dead guy. So Mary and Martha have to decide, do they just intellectually believe? Do they just use their mouth to describe what they believe? Or do they step out in faith with their life and put it all on the line to act out what they believe? The next verse tells us the answer. Verse 41, they took away the stone. What an act of faith. In front of all their friends and family, they're already at the point of deep grief. Jesus would be adding insult to injury if he asked for this and nothing happened. But Jesus kept promising them, if you believe, you will see the glory of God. 
So Jesus lifts up his eyes and he says, Father, I thank you that you've heard me. I know you always hear me. This prayer wasn't for himself. Jesus said, I'm saying this on account of those standing around. Those that are genuinely broken and grieving during this season, Jesus is talking to you. Those who are skeptical, wondering who he is, what this church thinks about, what organized religion or Christianity is, you're not quite sure because you've seen a lot of posers, you've seen a lot of fake tears, you've seen a lot of people showing up professionally just for the money, but their heart wasn't grieving with the people that were broken. Jesus is talking to you. The people standing around. He wants everyone to know one thing, that the Father sent him, sent him to proclaim a new kingdom. The same God who spoke at the beginning of time and brought everything into being by saying, let there be light. Let there be man and woman. Let there be day and night. Let there be land and sea. Let there be plants and animals. That same God sent Jesus, and Jesus is speaking words of resurrection life right into the grave, unafraid. He wants people to notice. Sometimes people didn't recognize that Jesus was sent by God. Everybody knew he was a special man. Everybody knew he had power. Everybody knew he was either a prophet or a wise teacher. But Jesus wants people to know he was sent by God as his son to raise the dead. This is actually a preview. What we're studying this morning is a preview for what Jesus himself is going to do later. Jesus is going to be the firstborn among the permanently resurrected. Because we know Lazarus died again later. Sorry to break it to you. I don't know exactly when, but after his resurrection, Lazarus died again. But Jesus, after he rose, never died again. And everybody who puts their faith in him will be the, he's the firstborn of many brothers and sisters. We join his family of this uh, race of humans who've been perfected, who have been purified, who have had all the death and sin and brokenness taken out of us. And we become part of a new family. That's what Jesus came to do. And he hopes other people standing around, those broken and those who are skeptics, see him and recognize him for who he is. So that's why Jesus did these things, to proclaim and then demonstrate his kingdom. He wasn't just of words, he was a power. He wouldn't just say stuff, he shifted realities. Only God would have the power to talk to a dead guy and have that dead guy get back up. So Jesus looks up, and in a loud voice with authority, he says, Lazarus, come out. Just as he would have said to the stars on the first night, come out. Just as he would have said to the moon, come out. Jesus commands Lazarus, just as he commands demons, come out of him. Jesus is talking to the grave, give him up. Lazarus, come out. I command you. And I bet again, a hush fell over the crowd. <laughs> is this guy crazy or is he God? Verse 44 tells us the answer. The man who had died came out. His hands and feet were bound up with linen strips. And his face was wrapped with a cloth. And Jesus, he must have had to hop out. Hey, what's up, Jesus? Hey, thanks, man. It was getting kind of smelly in there. And Jesus says to those around him, unbind him and let him go. If you wonder why we do small group ministry or life groups or discipleship in our church or in the Christian faith, it's because sometimes the death clothes that we're still carrying after we've been resurrected need to come off and, and we can't reach them or take them off ourselves. So we need someone else to unwrap us and let us go free. I was actually uh, walking out of the bathroom one day to a meeting and it was an important meeting and I had some toilet paper that I was trailing 
It was attached to my shoe and I couldn't see it. It was a blind spot. I needed someone else who cared enough about me to come and help me pull that off because it was unbecoming to me for who I was supposed to be. And Jesus said the same thing to Lazarus and the friends around him. Help him take off the grave clothes so he can go free. Take off the cloth over your face so we can see you, so we can talk to you and be one with you. We don't want you to hide anymore. And then Lazarus was resurrected and free. He later hosted dinner parties for Jesus. Can you imagine that? Come meet the formerly dead guy. He's throwing a party. Jesus will be there and the dead guy will be there, except he's not dead anymore. Jesus changed him. What a testimony. Do you have a testimony like that? Maybe not. you might not be the formerly dead guy, but you might be the formerly bitter guy. And Jesus taught you how to forgive. You might be the formerly dismissive guy and Jesus thought, taught you how to weep for others who are going through pain. You might be the formerly critical woman and you started to appreciate others. All these things would be so radical that people have to say, what happened? Why the change? How did this come to pass? And the answer would be, I heard the voice of Jesus calling me out from where I was to where I could be, from who I am to who he's really made me to be. I got to see the truth of who I am by taking away the cloth and seeing Jesus face to face. Could you imagine that? Everything's dark, everything's black, and then all of a sudden you hear the voice of Jesus, then all of a sudden you feel your body shaking and your heart starts beating again, your brain's working, your eyes open, your hearing works, and you walk out and Jesus is there commanding people to unwrap you just as he commanded the grave to give you up. Wow. If we're going to follow Jesus in this day and age, during an election season, during the coronavirus season, during this time of economic uncertainty, we have to learn how to do what Jesus did when he walked on earth. He wasn't just doing these things to show us his power and to reveal that he was God. He was also doing these things so that we can follow in his footsteps. His word says to us that we'll do even greater things than these because we're going to the, he's going to the Father and the Holy Spirit's going to come down and live in us. So we're going to continue the ministry of Jesus. What does the ministry of Jesus look like during a divided election cycle? During a global pandemic, I believe this story has three simple truths for us. Number one, we need to learn to weep over the things that break the heart of God. When I grow up and get more mature in my faith, Jesus brings me joy. Jesus brings me fullness and satisfaction. Jesus makes my soul connected with him and full and complete. I have more joy than ever, but do you know what I also have more than ever? Tears. Because Jesus starts showing me things that are going on in my neighborhood, in my world, in this culture, that were never supposed to be the way that they are now. And it starts to make me groan inwardly. The Bible says the spirit groans with us with words that can't be expressed. And we start to weep over the things that break the heart of God. If you think of Jesus, he was full and complete and perfect. He didn't lack anything in heaven. But yet he came to earth and he was willing to inconvenience himself. He was willing to not rest until someone else was made complete too. His world wasn't the only uh, sphere that he was concerned about. He was concerned about the sphere of someone else. And that's what moved him to start to weep. And in fact, he started saying, my sphere won't be complete until I have that person back with me. My sphere won't stop weeping until someone else stops weeping. He started entering into our story, entering into our suffering, and that's what he's calling us to do, to weep with those who weep. He's also called us to go to those dead, dark, scary places, those places that good, well-meaning Christians probably would advise you not to go to. 
There might be people that you hang out with for the purpose of witnessing to them that other people might think is ill-advised, but you need to go because salt and light always wins. Every time I put salt on my meat, my meat always gets saltier. The salt never gets meatier. Have you noticed that? Anytime I turn on a light bulb to shave in the morning at my kitchen, at my, my bathroom sink, I haven't been kicked out of my bedroom to shave at my kitchen sink yet. Thank you, Jesus. At my bedroom sink, when I go to shave, I turn on the light and the darkness flees. Salt and light always wins. We can go into dead, dark, scary places with boldness and confidence, knowing that the Holy Spirit in us, the same resurrection power in us, the same power that raised Jesus from the grave and that raised Lazarus from the grave is working in us. Did you know that? You have that kind of power if the Holy Spirit lives in you. Jesus is asking, do you dare to weep over the things that break the heart of God, over the things that cause others to suffer? And do you dare to go to those dead, dark, scary, stinky places? I can imagine Mary and Martha just thinking, man, it smells too bad. Let's not open up the grave. Sometimes we do that with our lives. Man, my internet history is so bad, I'm not going to let anybody in there to see that. It smells way too horrid. My thought life, if anybody saw it for what it really was, if it was broadcast on the big screen, it would just be too despicable. I don't even want to let Jesus into that. And he's saying, trust me, roll away the stone in your heart. Whatever it is that you've got back there isn't a surprise to him, by the way. I took my family out uh, hiking one time at Forest Home when I was speaking at a retreat, and we played hide-and-seek. And I remember Allegra, my tiny little daughter who's adorable, she picked this hiding place behind a stick. It was like a tiny little young tree, and the tree was about six inches taller than her, but it was only about that thick and I could see her <laughs> and she's like thinking she's all clever she goes daddy I'm hiding and I'm looking at her going you're cute but you're pathetic I can see you you picked a stick that little to hide behind everything we do is already known to God it's impossible to hide from him whatever's behind the stone whatever's behind the door of our life it's no secret he can see it already. We're not confessing to tell him things that he doesn't know. We confess our sins to tell him that we're sorry and that it's killing us and that we want to choose life instead of death. We, we confess to give it away. We don't confess to tell him what he doesn't already know. So Jesus is saying with this kind of power, with this kind of, of awareness and boldness, we get to be salt and light where we go into the darkness of our culture. We go into the smelly parts of our culture, the deadness, and salt basically makes the dead stink less. It might sting when it's applied, but it adds flavor. And Jesus is wondering who wants to follow him? Not just by checking Sunday school boxes, that's important, but who wants to step out in faith and weep and go to the places where other people might not go because Jesus loves everyone trapped in those situations. He loves them enough to go after them no matter how bad it smells, no matter how scary it is. Good rabbis weren't supposed to go to tombs. They weren't supposed to touch the dead. They became unclean. But Jesus knew what was in him was more powerful than the grave. That's why he'd go to lepers and he would touch them. And instead of lepers giving Jesus the contagious disease that they had, the lepers caught what Jesus had. And he had that same power with Lazarus. Instead of the death making Jesus unclean, the life in Jesus made the dead guy live again. Jesus was contagious and he took that power with him. Jesus is in us through the Holy Spirit. We get to take that power with him wherever we go. We need to weep. We get to go. 
And we get to speak words of resurrection life. I believe right now our world is hurting and crying out and desperate for words of resurrection life. We have a lot of words from political candidates. We have a lot of words on social media. We have a lot of words coming on our text of our screens on our phones. But we're dying for words of resurrection life. And if you weep and go to those places and those people that God's sending you to with boldness and confidence, you have the privilege of speaking words that are going to change their life forever. Lazarus, come out. Three words changed him forever. It changed the whole neighborhood because people started putting their faith in Jesus because of the changed life of Lazarus. Those words that Jesus speaks through you can change someone's eternity forever. Three words could open up trillions of years of eternal life for someone. It doesn't take long to say it, but it can change history forever. It becomes timeless. What if you could go to your brother trapped in some kind of sin and just say, bro, come out. Is that giving you life? How does that smell in there? How's that working for you? Can you hear Jesus calling your name, that conversation with someone else could change everything. Do we weep? Do we go? Do we speak? If we do, we're following after Jesus. I don't think these are optional, by the way. I think if we follow Jesus, he's going to show us how to cry for a specific group of people that he might put a burden for on our lives, and he's going to send us there. For me, that's public school kids. Kids that aren't going to hear about Jesus otherwise. I weep over them. I've been sent to them. I get to speak words of resurrection life to them. What's your thing that Jesus is calling you to do? Who's that group he wants you to weep over, to go to, and to speak words of resurrection life to? Right now, our culture is dying for that. We're desperate for that. It can change somebody's life forever. It can change their life now too. Those words of resurrection life weren't just for the future for Lazarus. His life on earth was better and restored and redeemed and made new. His relationships were much stronger than when he was dead. And he was able to come and engage in a way on earth as it is in heaven until he got to heaven. Because Jesus' words change us now and forever. He's the resurrection and the life, he said to Martha, not just in the future, but today. Years ago, I was calling kids to invite them to a church camp that I was helping to put on as a youth pastor. This is when I was at a Presbyterian church downtown, and I was feverishly dialing. And did you ever do this where you're calling somebody, and you dial the number, and you get the wrong number, and you get a voicemail you don't recognize? So that happened to me, and I just hung up because the voicemail was unfamiliar, and I had a bunch of kids to call because we were taking about 65 kids to that camp that week, and I had to make sure everybody was packed and everybody was ready and they knew what time and they were excited to go and they had all their paperwork. It was a big job. So I just kept dialing through my list. And then about three minutes later, the number that I had just called that had the unrecognized voicemail, the guy calls me back. So I answer and I said, hello. And he says to me, are you the guy that just called me? And I said, yes. And he said, what are you doing calling me? He's like really kind of edgy. And I said, I'm really sorry, sir. I apologize for any inconvenience. I was dialing. I got the wrong number. So because I didn't recognize your voicemail, no offense, I just hung up. I'm very sorry. I hope you have a good day. So then he says to me, are you sure you have the wrong number? <laughs> and I was like, yes, I'm sure. And he goes, okay. So he hangs up. About two minutes later, he calls me back again, and he's really ticked. And he said, how do you know that you had the wrong number? <laughs> and I said, I didn't recognize the voicemail. It's pretty simple. He goes, how do you know that you're sure? And I'm thinking to myself, what is this, some philosophy class, bro? I don't know you. I didn't recognize your name or your voice. So I hung up. Simple as that. And he's really getting edgy. He goes, are you sure that you have the wrong number? I said, I'm positive. Didn't know what was going on. And then he starts to open up to me. He goes, this is my wife's private cell phone number. 
He goes, and I happen to be holding her phone today. I don't have it very often. And so I'm just wondering, who are you? He's starting to accuse me. So I decide I'm going to give it to him in the name of Jesus. So I talk back into my phone and I say, my name's Nate Landis. I work at First Presbyterian Church in San Diego, 320 Date Street, down in the Gaslamp District. And I was calling kids to invite him to church camp. So there. He goes, you're a pastor? He said, I'm having so much trouble in my marriage right now, I don't know where to turn. And he opened up his heart to me, and for the next 10 minutes, I was able to speak words of resurrection life into his dead, dark, scary marriage situation. Wherever God's put you, it's not an accident. It might even seem like an accident, but what God's got going on for you is he's teaching us how to weep. He's going to send us and we're going to go and we're going to be able to speak words of resurrection life to a dead, dying and hurting culture that's desperate for a change. We're not going to find it by listening to the words of any other politician. No matter who wins on Tuesday, our hope is in Jesus Christ. I hope we can be respectful with different opinions, but let's all agree that our hope is in the resurrection power of Jesus because his words can change us now and forever. So to follow Christ today, I want to challenge you to weep, to go, and to speak words of resurrection life. I'm going to pray with you in just a minute, but I'd like to give an invitation this morning. I'd be remiss if I didn't invite you to respond to the voice of Jesus calling your name after I've poured out my heart and gotten excited and gotten passionate about God's word. If I didn't give you an opportunity to respond, I would be doing a disservice to the viewers out there that I love so much. So I'm going to pray. And if you'd like to respond to Jesus, this is your opportunity to do that. And then I have another prayer for those who are already believers in Christ. Won't you pray with me? In the privacy of your own heart, if you've never responded to the voice of Jesus calling you out from where you are, I don't know how you got there. I don't even care how you got there. I want to know, can you hear the voice of Jesus coming after you, calling out your name, saying, come out? This prayer is for you if you are willing to respond. Dear Jesus, I believe that you are the son of God. And I believe that the things you did on earth were to show us that you came from God the Father. Please forgive me for my sins that are leading to death in my life. And please make me new again. Take off my grave clothes so that I can go free. Give me life in you. Fill me with your Holy Spirit so that you can also use me to spread hope to others who need you just as badly as I do. Amen. If you prayed that prayer today, would you direct message us or comment in the section underneath the screen or reach out to us on our website? We've got a lot of contact information. We would be honored to celebrate with you and walk with you and disciple you and just talk about what it means to live this out on an everyday basis. I have one more request before I'm done. That's for someone who already is a believer in Jesus, someone who already knows he's God. You've come out of the grave, your grave clothes are starting to come off, but you might have an area in your life where the grave clothes are still on. You might have partially unwrapped, but there's something kind of lingering. It might be a secret. It might be stuff other people see. And, and you experience the resurrection power of Jesus, but you still want to get some of those things unwrapped because you know that outfit is not becoming of a child of God. I showed up one time at a party. My wife and I were invited to what we thought was a costume party. And so, uh, we, we actually dressed up in our pajamas and we showed up and we're with a bunch of other adults. And at the last minute, they changed it from a pajama costume party to like a, a black tie kind of fancy holiday party. We showed up and we were wearing 
these embarrassing outfits. <laughs> it was just unbecoming to the crowd that I was with. And my wife and I had to kind of fake our way through the whole thing. And there were some ministry partners there I was trying to work with and build relationships with. And here I am in my pajamas. You might have an outfit in your life that just doesn't fit what God wants to call you into. The, the places he wants to send you, the crowd he wants to take you to. You're wearing something that he's convicting you right now isn't becoming of a person who follows after Jesus. I just want to give you an opportunity. And maybe you need to talk to somebody beside you or text somebody to help unwrap this. But I just want you to talk to God about this with me. Dear Jesus, Thank you for the resurrection power that you've unleashed in my life. And I pray that it would flow to every part of me. And I pray that the grave clothes that I've still got on, I've got them halfway unwrapped, but I've still got some stuff that makes it hard to run. It might make it hard to lift up my hands for worship. It might make it hard for me to serve. It might make it hard for me to walk to where you send me. It might make it hard for me to give and serve the way you want because I'm tied up. Father, I, I just want you to untie me and take me to people that can unwrap me so I can go free. If that's you today, thank you for being honest. We can say amen and knowing that God heard our prayer. Some people I pray came back to life for the first time spiritually with Jesus and got saved today. And some people got a new outfit or they got unwrapped and untied from cords that were there. That's the hope of the gospel that we get to live out. I pray as we go from here together, we can weep over the things that break the heart of God. We can go to those dead, dark, scary places with boldness and confidence because salt and light always wins and the power of Jesus inside us will flow out of us so we can speak words of resurrection life because Jesus speaks through us. God bless you. Have a wonderful Sunday. I love you. We look forward to staying in touch and living this out together. God bless you. Thanks again for joining us. Contact us or learn more at our website, newvision.city. See you next time.